0: listening to so money everyone happy friday the first friday in february it's the birthday month just putting it out there don't expect any gifts but you know if you want to shower me with i don't know a review on itunes or recommending this podcast to a friend that is a huge gift to me and to all of us here at farnoosh inc and by all of us i mean me and Sophia, who are very grateful for your support and work very hard to make this podcast possible um, as frequently as we do. And speaking of ma- Sophia, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's February. February is my favorite month, just <laughs> um, for obvious reasons. It's Valentine's Day. February. Oh, well, I'm not really a Valentine's Day fan, but like love is in the air in February, right? It's like <laughs> it is. It is. It's, I'm it's a romantic you. month. <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not the warmest, but it's definitely. I guess maybe a reason to cozy up to somebody because it's cold. I actually discovered a a study recently that just like listed the top 10 states for romance. New York was not on the list. That's depressing. Not so high on the list, New York. I don't (laughs) know. I think they were like in the double digits. But the Alaska, like a lot of cold states were on the list Alaska, the Dakotas. I'm thinking that's because you need a warm body to warm up to. and thus the romance ensues. That's my hypothesis. I digress. We have, good news, a lot of voicemails to catch up on. You have been listening to the show, y'all, and I appreciate that you've been using this little tool that we have on the website called Feedpipe. And, of course, you can always write in your questions for these episodes, but we wanted to shake it up a little bit, hear your voice, connect with you on a kind of different, cooler level. And I'm happy to say, Sophia, we have multiple voicemails that have been actually piling up. I was maybe I, I I didn't check the site for like a week. I came back and it was nice to see many new voicemails. So if you've been waiting for your voicemail to get aired, <laughs> this is probably the episode. We're keeping a few more for next week as well, but keep them coming. We love hearing your voice. And so we're going to go to the first one. Who is who
1: Sophia? The first question is from Cody. So let's take a listen. Hey, Farnoosh, this is Cody in Louisiana, and I had a question for you regarding W-4s. What is your take on income tax return? I've been thinking about changing my W-4 to what I currently am, married with two kids, but the current status of my W-4 is single and zero, as I have never changed anything over the years. Would you recommend me changing it to married with two kids so I could get a bigger check during the year? and possibly use that money to invest or let the government keep taking out as much as they can. And when I get my income tax return, invest that money. Thank you. All right, Cody. So Farnoosh, what do you think you should do with this income tax return? His
0: income tax return, listen, this is something that I don't mess with. I don't mess with income tax returns. I don't mess with allowances. The thing is, you know, when you're married and you have kids, That changes your whole situation and the IRS requires knowledge of this I don't think it's illegal but I think that there is going to be an issue if the IRS finds out that in fact you are married and you have kids and you haven't been claiming that on your w-4 or w-2 and so you just need to do the honest thing that's my advice each allowance that you claim will mean less taxes taken out of your check. So that may mean that Cody's not gonna get as big of a tax refund. He might even owe taxes come um, April 15th. But I don't really see a way around this. You just need to be truthful about your marital and dependent status. And I will say this too. I once worked with a tax attorney and It was the year I was getting married and I had been telling him since I was engaged that, you know, when we file our taxes for the year that I get married, we need to make sure that we adjust this on my tax return, make sure that I claim. And he didn't do that. And when I got my tax return that he'd done for me back, I said, we have to fix this. And he goes, well... What did your husband do? Did he also tell the IRS that he got married this year? I said, well, yeah, I mean, because that's what actually happened and we're being truthful. He goes, oh, well, you know, if your husband hadn't said that, then you wouldn't have to say it. And you could just, you know, ride this as a singleton and ultimately probably pocket more um, in taxes. And I was like, you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually what happened. I That was a big red flag for me because I was like, this guy is trying to work around I mean, so in my mind, I'm like, maybe that's not illegal, but it's not truthful. And I, I don't know. I don't mess with Uncle Sam. I'm so you. Looks, you know, like just better be safe than sorry. Like in the end, like how much money are you really talking about? I don't know. I don't know if you're going to lose some, make some, but you know, just keep it truthful. Keep it honest. Keep it real, Cody. And I think you'll sleep better at night. I'll sleep better at night <laughs> knowing
1: that my listeners are
0: doing the right thing.
1: All right, let's move on. Okay, so our next question is from Michelle. Let's take a listen. Farnoosh, I always hear financial advisors say the best time to buy stock is when it's on sale. I completely understand this concept. What I don't know is the best way to go about finding the stocks that are on sale. I'm thinking there's a financial tool, dashboard, website, or alerting tool that I'm missing please help. I would love to get in on the action when the stocks dip and the sales are on. What do you use?
0: Okay. Well, you know we don't like to talk about investments so much on the show as far as stock picking and trying to time your investments. We like to talk about long-term passive indexing, passive investing. And of course, you can't ignore the news. And if you watch CNBC, you're bound to start getting curious about stock movements and pricing and and i worked at thestreet.com with jim cramer and so this is very much a piece of my history as a financial reporter i also studied finance so i i have some you know background on this but i don't really act on it and i think that you know sophia when she is hearing about stocks going on sale which we hear often when the market tumbles and um, you know the s&p falls several hundred points or the dow falls over a percentage people actually find that to be an opportunity to buy into the market. And I, I would agree with that to some extent. You know, I think that how I calm my nerves when the market is being so volatile and up one day and down another is to say, well, when the market is really selling off, this is actually a good time to buy in. Warren Buffett would probably agree. But to her question about what does it mean when a stock is on sale, what I think pundits and advisors are really talking about is they're referring to. and we're going to get a little technical here, so maybe have some coffee, so wait, so stay awake for this because I'm gonna, I might fall asleep. But it's they're really talking about a stock's price to earnings ratio, PE ratio, and this is one of the old school tenets of finance. It's one of the first things you learn as a financial student. And what that's equal to is the price an investor is paying for $1 of a company's earnings or profit. And you calculate it by taking the share price of a stock, dividing it by its earnings per share... And by the way, earnings per share is calculated by earnings divided by total shares outstanding. Again, this is a very common metric in the market to basically value a stock's worth. It's just one metric, though. And I would be skeptical of just going by this alone. By the way, are you guys still awake? Are you still awake, Sophia? I am. <laughs> okay. I'm worried because this is getting into like really technical terrain, which I don't like doing on the show. And you're taking me all the way back to my finance classes at Penn State, which also were very sleep inducing. (laughs) Um, I'm not a stock picker. I've never been a stock picker. And like I said, on the show, we like to talk about long-term investing, broad-based, diverse portfolios, never buying or selling individual stocks on any particular piece of news or market moves. But listen, I know people are interested in this. I'm not going to deny that. If you want to learn more about stock movements, stock pricing, when to buy, when to sell, don't come to my Door because I'm not the best person, but you should read thebalance.com. It's a good website. Actually, thought Mr. Money Mustache, who's been on the show before, has some really, really thoughtful pieces on investing on his site. And then The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham, who is like they call him like you know the father, the grandfather, the founding father of investing. And Warren Buffett, in fact. Talks about how when he was a teenager, he got a copy of Benjamin Graham's Intelligent Investor and it really changed the course of his life. And he called it one of the luckiest moments of his life. It gave him the intellectual framework for investing. So if you want to be like Warren Buffett or Benjamin Graham, read The Intelligent Investor and let us know how else we can help you. You know, if you want to learn how to save more, make more, retire well, quit your job find a job, you know, start a business. That's what I like to talk about. So I love the question. I appreciate the question. And I hope you'll find better answers with those resources. All right. Everyone's awake. Good. Next question.
1: <laughs> okay. So our next question is from Sarah and it's regarding freelancing. So let's see what she has to say. Hi, Farnoosh. My name is Sarah. Thanks so much for all the great
0: content you put out there. I recently found the podcast and I'm loving it. So my question is about freelancing. I jumped into freelancing without really understanding how it works. I started doing website editing for a small company a few months ago, and it's bringing in between $100 and $200 a month. Not that much, but this is a side job for my 40 hours a week regular work at a nonprofit, and that covers all my basic expenses and needs. So I'm hoping that this money will help me pursue my true goal of attending a certification program in 2018 and pursuing a completely different career path. So any advice you have for me on what to do with this money in the meantime, or if it might make sense to save it a certain way, or how it might impact my taxes, my taxes have always been pretty simple. So how to save the little money that she's making, where to save it. How might it impact her taxes? So I think that the thing she needs to do is just, yes, save it in a separate bucket. Keep track of it. Also keep track of your expenses related to this side gig. Um, I'll get back to why in a second. but. In regards to saving, she could open up an online account. She could create a, f- a separate account at her existing bank. And some banks do let you do this, compartmentalize or label a, a an account for a specific purpose so that you can visually see that particular goal growing. Don't worry about interest or investing this money aggressively since I guess she wants to tap this soon, like within a year. So it's not something that will benefit from long-term interest. And as far as how this will impact your taxes, again, keep track of any related expenses if you're if this is so it's a website. So your server costs, your design costs, if you have a I don't know, a, like a Mailchimp or a newsletter service, anything that has to do with the business that you're paying out of pocket for, keep track of that, keep receipts, and but also report all of the income. Whether or not she's gonna get taxed is going to depend on the amount of the income as well as her related itemized expenses. So as an example, let's say she in a year makes twelve hundred dollars, but maybe she had two thousand dollars in related expenses to run the site to do her side gig. It's possible, don't you know, don't hold me accountable to this, but it's possible after running the numbers that the IRS will not Charge her any taxes on that income because technically she was operating at a loss. But you have to report all any income to the IRS and then cross your fingers (laughs) that you're not going to owe as much or too much. But I think having expenses and listing them and keeping track of that will help to reduce her tax exposure on that particular side income. Additionally, I would say this is something that I went through. If she thinks that this side income and this side gig will ultimately become a business, a full-fledged business, then sooner than later, I would say open up a business bank account. To do this, she'll want to get incorporated, get become official, get a corporate ID, a certificate of incorporation. You'll need this in order to open up a business bank account anywhere and you can start getting certified as as a corporation by contacting your state office that's responsible for registering corporations in your state. You can Google it, and you can do a lot of this work online. You could work with a tax preparer or rather a tax attorney. It's faster, but it's obviously more money. But if you wanted to do this on a budget, then you can just contact the state office directly. They'll give you the forms, they'll give you the fee schedules. And there's also some sites out there like legalzoom.com, like legal DIY sites that can help for a little bit of money, but less than of course, working with a tax attorney. So there's a few avenues you could take, but this is only if she really sees this becoming a business and kind of wants to start ahead of the game, you know, getting this money appropriated for the business, sheltering it a little bit, as far as taxes go, because now you're a corporation, that, that does help with taxes. So that's what I would say. And I think our next voicemail, Sophia, has also to do with taxes. So what's that question?
1: It does. It comes from Jennifer, and she wants to know whether or not she should open up an IRA. So let's hear exactly what she has to say. Hi, Farnoosh. My question involves opening an IRA for tax sheltering purposes. My husband and I make roughly $180,000 a year for a family of five. And once I plugged in some of our numbers on TurboTax, there is a possibility we may be owing taxes for the year So my question to you is, would it make sense to open an IRA to avoid paying taxes to the government? Thanks so much for your help. And I love your podcast.
0: I do think that opening up a traditional IRA could reduce your taxable income. Remember, the contributions to an IRA up to $5,500 this year can be deducted from your taxable income, which ultimately reduces the taxes you'll owe. It could be more money in your pocket come tax time. I think that if you're using TurboTax, Jennifer, you could probably refer to them to help you run that calculation for you to just do that comparison. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons many people open up IRAs. Obviously, it's a great vehicle to save for retirement, but the tax benefit is also what makes it super attractive. So I would definitely explore that further. All right. Thanks for your audio questions. Let's go to some written questions now. We have a question here from Jonathan, which actually isn't a question. It's a follow-up.
1: Yeah. So he wanted to let us know that he had the pleasure of having a 15-minute money session with you last year, and he wanted to give you an update. And so he had his 2016 So Many moment. In November, he was promoted. It was his second promotion in two years, and he broke the six-figure ceiling by negotiating, So now he's on track to pay off all of his student loans in the next three and a half years instead of 10. He suspects that that will be his so many moment in 2018. Wow. Awesome. Congratulations,
0: Jonathan. Let us know what specific episodes helped you with that. We love to kind of get specific here and figure out like what were the actual things that we said that move the needle. So we can highlight them. And we're so happy for you. That's huge. We're so happy that you negotiated. We're so happy that you're prioritizing your student loans, you know, cutting down your loan payoff by 60%. That's phenomenal. So we are really proud of you. We're happy for you. Keep us always posted And a reminder to all of you, if you have wins that you want to share, this is where we can brag about you. So tell us how things are going, not just your questions, but also what you're winning at and how we can learn maybe from your great examples. So congrats, Jonathan. And I think we have time for one more question. Let's let's go to Gabriella.
1: Yeah. So she's in the process of reevaluating her 401k options at work. And she has two options. She's wondering, should she have her company match up to fifty percent of her contributions up to a max of nine thousand dollars, or should she have a hundred percent of her contributions matched up to three thousand? She's not sure which to choose so
0: that's just quick math. which one will give you the most free money <laughs> that's how I would have I would assess this so let's take the first scenario where she contributes a maximum of nine thousand dollars and then her company gives her 50% of that. That's $4,500. In the second scenario, she can contribute up to $3,000. Uh, the the match is more, it's 100%, but she's still only going to get $3,000. So in my mind, the first option with the 50% match where she can contribute up to $9,000 is more attractive, but it's assuming that she's actually going to contribute 9000 That's kind of where it really makes sense. You have to kind of take advantage of this match to the fullest in order to have this be the better deal. And that's how I'd I'd work it out. So cool that she even has these options. (laughs) I know that some companies are going away with their match, going away with their 401k plans entirely. So Gabrielle, you are in a good spot. And we hope that either whichever way you go, that you at least contribute 10% of your income to retirement every year. And you do this consistently, even when you make a make more money, get a raise, that you just stay the course. And hopefully by the time you're ready to retire, you'll look back and be really proud of yourself. And that 10% can include a match. So maybe that only means for you you have to do, you know, half of that or a little bit more than that. So it's not that much of a burden. All right, congrats. And can thank you everyone for your voicemails. And I hope that we will hear from you more and more as we continue the show this year. Hope your weekend, Sophia and everyone is so money.